0: Hello, I'm Adam Ferner,
1: and I'm Darren Chetty
0: and welcome to Do You Even Vegan? In this episode Darren and I talk to the wonderful and unnervingly talented Melanie Randesham bold Mel is a senior lecturer at University College London where she teaches and researches on topics related to publishing and book cultures with a special focus on kids and YA literature and, surprise twist, she's also super interested in veganism. We talked about recipes and copyright, Glasgow and Turkish Delight, and also something called a Munchie Box. By the way, just so you know, our meeting was absolutely plagued with technical difficulties and sound quality suffered as a result. So you might not be able to hear it all, but I can assure you it was 100% legit. Shout out, as always, to the
1: NHS and all its incredible workers. Have you bought any lunch, Mel? No, you haven't bought any lunch. I
2: haven't actually bought oh, any lunch because I always have lunch with my wee family and I've actually just had my second breakfast.
1: How many How many breakfasts do you usually have?
2: Generally, I'm a bit like Paddington and I, oh. I have you know breakfast throughout the day. I usually have at least two breakfasts.
1: And do
0: they stay the same or do they become more elaborate or less elaborate as the day goes on? Well,
2: I feel like my diet has actually become more elaborate in lockdown anyway. I mean, I'm having puddings with all of my meals now.
0: Does that include breakfast?
2: Oh yeah, I mean my breakfast today was essentially a pudding. I had um, buckwheat porridge, which is basically buckwheat, uh, fruit, peanut butter, uh, coconut nectar and all blended together and then with uh, almond That sounds
0: amazing. And also, as
1: you say, elaborate.
2: Yeah, (laughs) it was quite elaborate. So I've had that twice today. so I think it might be a bit excessive if I have like a pre-lunch lunch.
1: Adam, I have to say that Mel and I have I've shared lunch a few times, and she's one of the only people I know who can eat me under the table. It's, <laughs> it's, it's quite a skill. I do love food,
2: it's true. And
1: it also
0: sounds like it's delicious food, which, I mean, like, I have standardly for breakfast, that I just have porridge, but I mean, like, not fancy porridge. I mean, I say porridge, it's more like gruel. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very, like, Victorian. It's not, there's no milk, and there's no even, like, milk substitutes. I mean, yeah,
2: that sounds like COVID-19 yeah. presented.
0: In contrast yeah. to the gruel breakfast, pretty much every day I have at least one banana ice cream.
2: So do you just, uh, uh, yeah, blend up frozen bananas and with a wee bit of, like, oat oat milk? Or, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. So
2: that's what we do with my son, because we, we're trying to keep him off sugar for as long as possible, so we do a lot of baking with, um bananas and we do the the sort of banana ice cream as well so he thinks he's you know getting a real treat when he gets uh, a bit mushed up frozen banana little does he know
0: so i think this is something that i'm particularly interested in in terms of um what it's like to have a particular attitude to one's diet and then also be to be a i mean a responsible adult who's looking after somebody else and what kind of conversations go on as part of the kind of family about diet and about food
2: so we are really lucky in that philip and i share the same kind of ethos around consumption and ethical consumption and what we eat etc so philip although he's an academic he's got a full-time job he runs a mushroom growing business they grow um it's called edible kingdom and they grow um oyster mushrooms um, but he's also he also started a food uh, collective in the in, in the village that I live in where we buy organic food um, from a wholesaler um, in bulk. We've been doing that for about two years ago. And he started a community interest company which connects local traders with, with consumers. Basically, this house is very much about eating locally, eating well, and eating organic food as as much as possible. So it's not just eating a plant based diet because you know Philip doesn't eat. Occasionally eats cheese. He occasionally eats eggs. And so does my son. It's it's really more about how how can we consume sustainably and ethically. So it's not really a conversation that we explicitly have with our son. And he's only three, probably not understand yes. anyway. But it's just something that's kind of embedded in everything that we do.
1: Okay, so people listening will perhaps guess that you have a, a connection to Glasgow. And we, we were up there for a conference last year, the Researchers Exploring Inclusive Youth Literature uh, conference. And it was the first time I was in Glasgow. And until I got there, and you had told me numerous times, told all of us, I had no idea that Glasgow was so, uh, so synonymous with veganism. I'm very
2: proud of it, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is this this a long time thing or is is it quite a recent thing?
2: No, I think, I mean, it was in 2013 awarded by um, PETA, the the vegan capital of Europe. And like yourself, I think a lot of people were surprised about this, especially people who hadn't lived in Glasgow or visited Glasgow, Mm -hmm. because um, Glasgow is widely associated with um, a deep-fried food. So it's, you know, culinary Glasgow is, is... associated with deep fried mars bars uh, chippies and, and you know the, mo- the munchie box which you may not have heard of um, i have
0: no idea what a munchie oh box is oh my god is. you don't know what a munchie box is so a munchie no.
2: box is i don't know if it's a Glaswegian thing or a scottish thing and there are variations of it but it's essentially a um, pizza box stuffed with kebab meat chips deep fried chicken and oh Pizza, onion rings, pakora, naan, just like all all the deep fried takeaway stuff that you can imagine. Wow! Um, and of course, there might be a wee bit of salad and coleslaw in there as well, which is yeah, yeah, which is generally thrown in the bin. And yeah, they're super popular in, in Glasgow and Scotland.
1: And and how big a how big a village would this feed? <laughs>
2: <laughs> For a healthy Glaswegian appetite, a single portion.
1: So so you've got this. I mean, this this is still going on in glasgow um,
2: yeah it's still going on and obviously there is a, a history of um, sort of fried food and that's that tied very much to this kind of working class identity that is uh, synonymous with glasgow um, you know it's not actually surprised to me at all that Glasgow is a vegan capital even though there are, are these sort of stereotypes of of glasgow that exist because mm-hmm. um i don't know like having spent most of my formative years in glasgow I didn't find it surprising because Glasgow's got a really, really long radical history that's also tied to this working class, uh, this working class class yeah. as well. And um, obviously, veganism is—you um, know—it's—it's it's part of a counterculture. Um, uh, it's always been associated with counterculture, um, and it's always been a—it's um, a, like a, an activist outsider community. And mm-hmm. Glasgow is is a city that is very, very much about counterculture and it's a city that prides itself on progressive politics as well
0: so one thing that i was hoping that you would be able to help us on is uh darren and i had a conversation about children's literature and how it intersects with veganism can you think of some good kids books that have good vegan food in
2: Thinking back to my own childhood and the the food that I was obsessed with as a child, that I suppose probably could be considered vegan. I was completely obsessed with the Turkish delight from um, the line of the wardrobe. Like, completely but obsessed with it. The,
0: the magical evil trap.
2: I was so I, would ask, yeah. I would have, you know, people say shame, message, but I would have fallen yeah. for that. I would have definitely fallen for that trap.
0: <laughs> I just found yourself in a horrible Christian allegory. Oh, it's fine. It's so, <laughs> like... <laughs> fine. I,
2: for the Turkish Delight, I would have done anything. And I don't think I actually ate real Turkish Delight until I was much older, because we had that horrible, do you remember that awful Turkish Delight that was, like, artificial jelly? It, it came Oh yeah! Purple, purple packaging, and it had, and it was just horrendous. Um, and it had, that,
0: did
1: it have a very, very thin layer of chocolate? At the yeah, top it had
2: of a really thin layer of chocolate, and the rest was essentially just artificial jelly.
1: There's another uh, potential sponsor we've lost, Adam. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh. <laughs> Sorry, Turkish delight. So,
1: fries, oh, yeah. <laughs> fries, Turkish delight. <laughs>
2: Didn't it have a really offensive uh, advert as well, like a really... Oh, it was
1: the whole taste the Orient oh, or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, right yeah. I mean, that's right. Really
2: Orientalist um, imagery in it. That's
0: right. Do you, I mean, worry? Is perhaps too strong a word, but I mean, do you think about the kind of literary landscape which is being um, created for your son when you read books, you know, children's books, and like the fact that there are these nostalgic links being created with food, perhaps against your will? and you know if you read harry potter then i mean like there's a lot of meat in there and i think about those scenes and i look and i'm a big fan of harry potter but also you know i'm now associating these good times with meat
2: um i'm just i my my head is blank at the moment because i can i can't remember it but there are lots of other books that have them um, veg vegetarian or vegan um, meals. I mean, like the the Edith you ones, know, the puddings, etc. They're mostly vegan or vegetarian. Um, oh well, apart um, from the Oxtel, uh, To Oxtel. But I think, yeah, I think there are so many books that kind of counter it that I don't. I don't think so because I still, you know, I, I would still want him to read books for people are eating meat, and then ha- and that to lead to a conversation rather than yeah. not expose him to to meat and us to be often having that
0: conversation i think it's just for me i am and dan and i've spoken about this before is that i have a very very strong association of meat and comfort and i think a lot of that comes through children's literature and i miss it i'm like i really miss eating meat And, and so it's it's one of those things where it's like i have an emotional response to it it's not necessarily the taste which i haven't had for you know decade or more um but it's, it's the fact that it positions me in a certain place and that I don't think necessarily happens at the conscious level when you're reading a book but you're just like having these things generated.
2: What would the, what would be like a, a real comfort meal for
0: you? Chicken nuggets, fish fingers. Yeah. Not together necessarily but just like... Yeah. But have of... you pr-
2: have you tried the vegan um, fish fingers and the vegan chicken nuggets?
0: I have, yeah. They're, I mean like, they're not bad because it's basically just like mushed flesh. Yeah. I think that it, I do have a very strong reaction to fake meat I like fake meat but I like it as as fake meat the fact that it, it conjures up that memory
2: so um I'm I, I do like fake meat I mean I, I think the Linda McCartney burger like quarter pounder burgers are amazing and occasionally it's a treat we have them with lots of like fried onions on the top and that's delicious but we don't yeah. tend to eat it that much like you it's like kind of comfort food if we we're feeling a bit rubbish and we just want a quick meal we but... And we always have stuff in the freezer, and that's because of my parents. Um, My parents aren't vegetarian or vegan, but because they're from a sort of Mauritian Indian heritage, my parents have always cooked vegan vegetarian foods. Um, They do eat meat, but they eat very little meat, and um, they eat seafood more than anything else, because obviously Mauritius is a tropical island, and um, it's a seafood-heavy diet. But um, even though they're not vegan or vegetarian, they are super enthusiastic and very supportive of everything that I do. So, um, since I've been, like, vegan, um, like, every time they see anything vegan, they buy it, like, they'll just buy my it, name. like, just vegan, they're like, oh my god, we need to get it. And they'll post it down, or they come down um, from Glasgow by train, and they'll literally bring a suitcase full of um, meat sausage, what, like, we I can do, stuff. So they'll come off the wee train in Glasgow, and it's like, why oh, have you got so many suitcases? And you'll open a suitcase, and they'll be like, 10,000 uh, uh, packs of sausages.
0: There's just such a wonderfully surreal image of just like fake meat tumbling out of a suitcase. <laughs> it's kind of like illicit material.
2: So we basically have a freezer full of vegan sausages
1: for the lifetime. So it's, it seems like you, you, your, your family are a, a tight unit, and that you, you know, there's this idea of like shared values and talking about food and its relation to politics, etc. But do, do you think you have a sort of relationship to a, the, the 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 vegan movement? Are you, I mean, I, just this morning, my, my copy of the Vegan Society magazine <laughs> came. I always flick through, I have a look, um, and I always think, oh, I'm glad I'm a member of this just because, you know, it is the oldest vegan society and, you know, it needs to grow its numbers to do, to do its work. But I wouldn't say I'm that involved, you know, I don't go to sort of meetings and meetups and all that stuff. I mean, this is the biggest sort of involvement I've had doing the podcast. Do you have a sort of sense of, of being part of a movement in that way? Or? I don't think
2: so. I mean, I'm not super into labels, so I don't, I'm, I'm often uncomfortable calling myself a vegan anyway, because, you know, I, I would mostly say that I have a mostly plant-based diet because I get all flip up. Um, I went to Florence last year and I had a gelato, a pistachio gelato from Grom, because I love Grom and I love the pistachio <laughs> gelato. And I don't, you know, I'm not hard myself for doing that. And uh, I, you know, I use, I wear woolen jumpers, I'm a knitter, I use wool ah. um, quite a lot.
0: He's just as a sidebar, that is a lovely jumper. Thank you
2: very much. Yeah. Even though it's May, and sunny outside, my office is so cold that I need to wear all of the winter jumpers. <laughs> Um, so, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say that I feel like I'm part of a, a movement, and I think like my veganism, if I would call it that, I think it's it's quite flexible and not evangelical. So I, I'm not too hard on myself, I don't slip up that often, but if I do slip up, I'm not too hard on myself.
1: I mean, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because on the one hand, yeah, I mean, the the the, the evangelical person who just spends all their time telling other people to to change their ways isn't the best company um but equally the, the person who says well i'm just focusing on myself because this is really important but doesn't do anything to extend it to other people that there seems like that there's something apolitical about that and I, I and it's something i think about a lot i think is the extent to which i should be yeah, engaging it because obviously in other social justice areas you know I'm out there trying to change people's behaviour often um, but I don't tend to do that so much with veganism and, and I sometimes wonder why that is and whether it's just that I don't want to be that guy you know. Yeah I suppose the way we do it is we set up this
2: food collective where we outside local and organic yeah. food when I have friends coming around to my house and I also have friends coming around to my house to eat I really love um, hosting people and cooking um, I always make really delicious vegan-friendly foods, and you know, when I had my son's birthday party, I had all these refreshments, friends, friends and I made, I made a cake with um, cashew and um, cashew cheese sort of cashew cheese frosting, and you know, I gave people the um, the recipe, etc. As to well. so I think it's just little things like that which introduces yeah. people to accessible ways into eat, eating vegan food.
1: It it sounds like you, you what you were saying is is just the act of living living your values is is a political act because it's going to be seen by other people and they then have a choice how they how they react to that so a final question which i hope tries to bring in all the things that we haven't touched on that we hope we might your your twitter handle now is i love copyright which (laughs) at first i thought was just a bizarre claim how could anyone but that's actually where some of your academic work is, is situated so we're trying to now make connections so in terms of recipes uh, do you have any thoughts because obviously you've got all these you know celebrity chefs now and people saying you know you're ripping off my work and and on the one hand you said you understand that on the other hand you said well it's just how to put some ingredients together and that's just
0: and you were just, just saying about
1: building a community by sharing recipes yeah yeah
0: really i strongly
2: believe that actually so i i think it is about sharing but also about um acknowledging as well and i think you said there was a ce- celebrity cases i think it was um Alison Roman, was it, that she, um, there was really there was a debacle recently with Alison Roman, who is a chef and celebrity critic, and she was in the news recently because she criticised two women of colour for, for how they were um, selling their products, etc. Right. And um, she has been accused in the past yes. of appropriating cultures through her food and not acknowledging where they came from, and I think that is the point, I think food is it's about sharing, and Food is obviously um, really coded um, culturally in the same way that language is. And also, also you know, food and spices can be colonised in a way that we're unhappy with. But I think it's a, it's about acknowledging where they come from. So if you're using chickpeas and spices and calling it a stew, you would probably make reference to chana masala, for example, and Indian totally. cuisine. But, you know, you don't need to copyright a recipe to, to protect that, because obviously People have been cooking Chana Masala for, for centuries um, in variations of ways. So it's, I think it's, it's quite a grey area, isn't it? It's difficult. I think the acknowledgement is more important than actually protecting something that is in the
0: public domain i mean for me it makes me think that maybe more stories should be in the public domain i mean like you know i'm a big fan of fan fiction (laughs) fiction, um, it's yeah and and but in some ways there are quite strong parallels between the way that recipes are used and remixed in a way that i think darren and i like with with recipes that yeah i mean it could it could work the other way it's not necessary that we have to transpose the copyright laws that we find in fiction onto recipes, but rather the way that we treat recipes on fiction.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the recipes that I make aren't actually vegan recipes, they're recipes that I just veganise.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you mentioned your, your family's uh, Mauritius and, and Indian heritage. Does that is that an important part in, in how you eat and how you cook, or, or not necessarily? Oh no!
2: Well, this is quite embarrassing. So my mum, she doesn't, she didn't pass down her Mauritian cooking to my sister and I. She passed it down to our partners because obviously we are more both um, white men. They are obviously more trustworthy um, uh, to be the bearers of heritage. So I actually don't do any of the Indian cooking in my household. So it's Philip. Philip does all the rotis, he does all the curries, etc. And, and, um, in the house, I'm ashamed to say.
1: I think that's a great great place to end actually. By yeah, so,
2: shaming yeah. me. Shaming no.
1: <laughs> me. <hurt. laughs> I don't think it is at all. I think it, in an actual fact it just disrupts some of these, you know, real essentialist narratives of things being passed down like mm-hmm. right, their sort of, you know, genetic conditions that that I always think are a bit a bit troubling of the way yeah. we talk about culture. Yeah. Um, I a hundred percent agree and
0: thank you so much for talking to us. That's our show. Thanks again to Mel for talking to us. You can follow her on Twitter. She's at ilovecopyright. Meanwhile, you can get in touch with us, or rather Darren. He's at Rap Classroom. The show was presented by Adam Ferner and Darren Chetty. The amazing music is by Earthbound Boy. And this episode is, as per Mel's request, dedicated to the wonderful city of Glasgow.